Mochoa. I do not have a sinus problem today, which I'm very thankful for. Sorry for last episode. <laughs> I sniffled through that whole thing. I'm so glad our audience is patient with all of my ailments that seem to happen this year. I'm just always suffering from something, it seems like. But that's not important. What's important is my question for you today, which is something that I've, I've honestly I've thought about quite a bit because it's a world that I don't really... Uh, I've never really had a lot of contact with. Um, But I wanted to ask you, what's it like to be uh, a military mom? Someone that has, you know, someone in the military. uh, I imagine, like... I don't know. I imagine there's so many like nuances that kind of go with this, and your son is is as well established and just has so many accomplishments to his name. But what's what's that like? Just kind of being in that military space after all of this time that he's served. It's it's been interesting. I mean, I'm very proud. Uh, makes you more patriotic, I think. It makes you more uh, attuned to the news. And things that are going on. And of course, I'm always, I was a geography teacher for a good 10 years with English. I did both. And uh, so I'm always, I know the different countries and all about them and things like that. So I pay attention to all different kinds of things. So I probably know a little bit more than than most, probably shouldn't, but um, not, not for any other reason than I've taught about it. You know what I mean? Like, like the Congo, I've taught about the Congo, and, and which is now the Democratic Republic of Zaire. And so, I mean, I remember when all that stuff happened, you know. And so, I, so I've learned all that. I tell you where it. it uh, my brother was in the military. He was in Desert Storm, and so uh, I've always been kind of proud of him and and everything that he's accomplished. So, so the military part has been here. I think when they go on deployment, that's probably the most difficult time because you you can't call them. You can't talk to them. You just have to trust that, that their training is, and they do train and they train a lot and that their training is, uh, serves them well. Um, you know, that they're, that's almost like a whole nother family that they have. And so I've, I've learned all about the ranks and I'm always paying attention to that. So I know all about the ranks on, and, uh, I know all about the different branches and things like that, that I've probably would not have known otherwise. (laughs) And then I've read a lot of military books. So on my uh, shelf right behind us, we've got the green berets. We've got to Helen back. We've got (laughs) chosen soldier and, and the like. So, uh, and I'm broken and all that. So, so I end up reading most of my, my books. That's why you hear me, you know, when we're talking about what books you're reading, uh, none of y'all are reading my books. (laughs) So I just stay quiet. (laughs) So anyway, but I've read all of those. So I don't know. What's it like? I'm very proud. I'm very proud. It's, it's so interesting. My, uh, my only touch with the military in any significant sense is my cousin, who I'm really not in contact with. You know, we have we used to hang out as kids a lot, um, and then you know we just drifted apart. And we, you know, I still keep up with him on Facebook or whatever. But he became a military doctor, um, so he was kind of in that space. But he also got you know he's also a med uh, a medical doctor, which was I just oh, thought wow. it was I just thought it was wild. And he's I think his dad. Um, or his stepdad maybe was a definitely not his dad. His dad's my uncle's dad. His uncle is a trucker, um, but he his stepdad is. I think he was military, so I think it was kind of a a family thing he did. But I'm always fascinated by it because it's so um, 
you know, uh, people go into the military for a variety of reasons, and there's a lot of militaries in the world where you're kind of forced into servitude, so to speak. An American military is very prideful and it's very, there's a lot of honor in it. And we, you know, there's a lot of benefits to going through, uh, all of the, the systems and whatnot. And a lot of people come out better for it. And a lot of people come out extremely wise. And it's just interesting. It's an interesting part of American culture that, you know, I'm a part of, I mean, I live in Texas for God's sakes. We're a very <laughs> prideful state in that regard. Right. Um, but it's just something I've never had that much, uh, contact with. So I don't know. It's interesting. Right. I, I, well, you know, my brother, well, my brother and his wife both served. Of course, my um, we had an uncle, my dad's uncle, all of his uncles served in World War II. And I had an opportunity before one of his uncles passed away. He was actually in the Navy. And um, anyway, while he was in the Navy, he actually uh, arrived on Iwo Jima and all of that right after the bomb and all those kinds of things happened. And so uh, he would talk about it when he got older. And so it was just kind of neat to sit there and listen to him uh, and what they go through and what, you know, I mean, they're literally putting their lives before, I mean, on, I mean, they're putting their life on the line and they're willing to uh, fight for us and the freedoms that we have and also the freedoms of other people around the world. And uh, I mean, they're sometimes the first one in when there's a problem and they go and help. Not just, I think it's not just, um, uh, I guess, attacks and, you know, where you're actually going to war, so to speak. A lot of the stuff that they do is behind the scenes and you don't really know what it is. But a lot of times they're just getting aid to people. Um, so those kinds of things. So so really, I, I, I did not know that until uh, my brother and, and uh, everybody got into it, that they do way more than just, you know, attack and all that kind of stuff. I mean, they can do that, but that's not where their strength is. I think their strength is in being able to help anyone, anytime, anywhere around the world at any moment's notice. And I think it's just really fascinating that we have a group of people who are willing to do that for us. The, it's interesting to, cause uh, you know, probably, I don't know even what percentage to put on it, but I would imagine the percentage is extremely small of what we actually hear about what our soldiers are doing and what the American military is doing at large. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where America in the news is always, you know, it's, it's very targeted, you know, it's, it's a, it has a big target on its back. It's always kind of condemned for this or that for good or ill for better or for worse. Um, but it's, it, we're in one of these weird spots where we have this, this influence and this, the world looks to us regardless of how they feel, right? The, mm-hmm. the, when, when things happen, right, they call to us and we're a leader in this spoken thing. We're not the only leader, but we're one of them. And it's, it's interesting just as a citizen, right? To, to just kind of realize that, man, there is a, the world's a huge, place. And it's just fascinating to know that everyday citizens, just like your son and everyone sign up and, you know, they're a part of this, this massive thing. I I think there's, it's probably not entirely, um, 
in parallel, but I think there's a lot of parallel between the what happens in the military. What makes the news is just a fraction, the same way in education. What makes the news mm-hmm. is a fraction. You don't know what it's like to be in these worlds until you're in the worlds. And even when you're in the world, it takes forever to even have a grasp of really the the inner workings of stuff. I mean, how often do you and I talk about education and the the intricacies of decisions and mandates and everything like that? And then we walk away going, I don't really know. Let's just go back and do our jobs like it's just there's (laughs) these systems are huge and i just think there's interesting parallel there but before we get to any more i want to tell everyone that this is crap the draft believe it or not it's a reading and writing workshop podcast (laughs) we are here (laughs) to talk about reading our workshop that's pam ocho i'm jacob chesse we're two texas teachers uh down here just loving workshop and loving what we do we teach at the same campus literally down the hall from each other and we implement the craft and draft system at our campus uh which we love. And I've had, uh, I've requested because we're at the end. We, as of recording this, we literally have two full days and two half days. I'm trying to think about it too much because I'm going to cry. But they, we only have so many days left, so I've been asking my students to turn in uh, some of their craft books uh, to that I can take pictures of and share with our audience here, um, probably over there on Patreon, because I want to show you the, the real-world examples of what students' craft books look like and and whatnot. So that's been super cool as we're, we're closing down things. Um, but today, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be answering two questions um, and kind of meander through them and I kind of go back and forth. I think these are two fantastic questions, especially at this point in the year. I know some of y'all are closing down early like us. Some of y'all have a little bit more time left, but regardless, if you're listening to this right now, you're probably uh, at the end of your uh, school year, which is wild to say. We're at another ending. And I got to tell you, it is a whopper of an ending. Before we get to the show, I want to tell you that you can support us over there on Patreon, just like several of our other listeners do. We're up to nine. Remember, we said once we hit 10, we're going to do regular PD videos for the Patreon. I feel like we're going to hit 10 very soon because we just hit nine. But the people who support us over there are Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, and Carol over there. They support us just like you can. Go search us up on Craft and Draft. You can find that link at craftandraftworkshop.com. We do bonus episodes over there that no one else ever hears. They will never reach these free feeds. Uh, We do bonus videos and a whole bunch of other stuff is planned, especially once we hit those 10 patrons. So be the 10th patron and join the awesomeness that is happening over there. It's becoming a nice little family, a nice little PLC almost over there. Uh, which is super cool to see. It's very exciting. Um, can't wait to dive in more into that. If you don't want to do that, though, subscribe to the podcast. You know what I'm saying? Leave a review. Those reviews truly do help us uh, do bigger and better things. It helps us rank in the podcast app and everything else. But, ladies and gentlemen, let's get to the conversation. Alrighty, Miss Ochoa, we're going to start with a small oops let's drop my phone because it's on my phone we're going to start with a, a smaller question that I actually got through instagram and i've already answered this uh for our listener but i wanted to answer it here because i think it's a it's a nice one i think it's good and i think you're going to add i think you could add a different perspective to this as well because i have my answer uh ready to go but I think, as always, you have your own little nuance. But Megan had messaged us, and she said, 
Hey there, I just wanted to say thank you to you and Miss Ochoa. I have been teaching fourth grade this year, and Craft and Draft has been an inspiration and true driver for me. So much so that I will be teaching eighth grade ELA next year, and I am so dang excited. Teaching is a career change for me, and it is a dream. I plan to implement your wall of exemplary writing, and she was wondering about how many pieces you choose to display and how often. Thanks again for doing what you do. Well, shout out to Megan for being a listener. Look at that. We're influencing people to go to the secondary world. What's up with that, Miss Ochoa? That's what's funny because we we have this like huge, this unexpectedly large elementary audience Mm -hmm. for Craft and Draft. And, uh, you know, maybe we've got some mergers going on here because I, I, like I said, I guess workshop is a little bit more popular at the elementary level. And now that we're kind of preaching the gospel that some of this uh, indeed thrives at the middle school level, maybe we'll have more moving up. That's kind of cool. That is kind of cool. I think I think part of it is uh, Lucy Calkins and all them very popular. Yeah, no, and elementary. they do elementary. So yeah. I think that's a lot of uh, well, even, why there's a lot of elementary. Correct. I mean, and even uh, you know, like Donald Graves, who we've talked about, you know, a million times. It's you know, elementary. all of yeah, all of his research, and he, obviously him and Lucy Calkins. You know, they kind of did their stuff at the beginning, which has been kind of the foundation for most of this. But um, you know, I, and that's what's interesting is I feel like you know I. I don't know, like the the Nancy Atwells and the Linda Reefs and Penny Kittles and Kelly Gallagher's out there, Laura Robs, you know, Laura Robb, you know, out of all of them, she is the, probably the most middle school focused. I think she's, she kind of goes wherever that woman is the one of the, literally the most prolific, amazing people. That's why she was our only guest on the show so far, because we were like, well, we got to talk to Laura on here for sure, because she's such an influence on you and me, but she's, she's so middle school for one of them. And that's, that's, seems rare. There's not a lot of middle school uh, focused people. Why is that? Do you think? Well, I think, I think it's the time constraints. Don't you think? I mean, you know, we have a block and so trying to run that, that uh, workshop in a, in a shorter time period, you have to really kind of think outside the box. Uh, Maybe not in the, in the sense of uh, doing the work, but in how to go about implementing it in a way that's smooth and transitions well. Uh, because if you have a 45, 53 minute time period with the students and, and you've got to do English and reading or one or the other, I think it's very difficult. So that's probably why people go, oh, I just can't do that. So they just go traditional. Yeah. And I think that's, I think, I think that happens at the administrative level. I think, I think they can't see how you can make it happen. So what ends up happening is they'll say they support workshop, but they can't really, they don't really have a vision on how maybe it will work in in the class period uh, time frame. Yeah, I mean for sure. I I think that's you know as a as a show focused on workshop and we talk about middle school that I think that's, you know, the nice little niche that we're going in. I mean, the cool part is, is, um, it's, it's very flexible. I I feel like this advice is really evergreen to some extent. You know, there's some alterations that we've talked about when we do our, uh, our presentations or some of the videos we've done, you know, we show our examples and, you know, people can kind of change them to fit, but I don't know. I think it's really cool. But anyway, to get back to Megan's question, this wall of writing. So I'll kind of give my two cents, um, since she's talking about specifically how I do this, but I want to give kind of some backstory if you would indulge me just for a moment, because my, uh, 
I, we, the, the conversations in education often come down to walls. I've, I've always been fascinated by that. You know, they want to know what's on your walls, what's on your walls. Let's look at your walls. Ever since I got into teaching, it's been, make sure your walls are up to date. Your walls have to be up to date. Your walls have to have this. And it's just like, oh my God, what are these walls? Like what is, you know, and it's something you do and we all do. And, you know, to, I had a, an academic coach one time that said it was, uh, you know, it's the having your walls up to date is like administrator Xanax, right? It's like they walk in and like, whew, okay, our our stuff is being implemented, right? <laughs> it's just, you know, and I've, I've thought that was like, okay, that gives yeah. me at least some, because I get it, you know, especially when I was a coach, like sometimes it's really hard to get a pulse on something when you're just kind of walking in. When you walk in and you see, you know, the strategies that the district is pushing or the acronyms or discipline steps or whatever, you know, it's it at least shows you from a, a glance that someone is being uh, not compliant. I mean, that's a part of it, but I think really, truly, it's like, oh, at least they're thinking about what we're doing, right? Whether it's being implemented correctly or not, that's a different conversation, but at least it's here, and that can lower some anxiety for a lot of people, right? It can at least uh, give some evidence that something is happening, right? And then that's why the data walls are so important, because it's like, well, the idea is that, you know, maybe they're not using data correctly, maybe they're maybe they're not even using it, but if they're printing it out and putting it up here and it looks correct, then they're at least on the right track, right? And I, I can see how from a coach's perspective, administrator's perspective, a district perspective, that that stuff can be valuable. But as an educator, I was like, this doesn't, this isn't for me. I'm going to do it because they need me to, and they're asking me to, and I'm not that rebellious at most times. So they will, uh, and, but I was always like, what, how do I add more of what I think is valuable? How do I add more to, uh, show the students what I value. Cause I got to tell you, kids don't care about these PDSA walls. They don't care about, uh, you know, your, the anchor charts necessarily. Now they might use them to some degree. I'm not going to bash anchor charts entirely, but when your wall is nothing but anchor charts and stuff, I got to tell you the more things you that are there, I just, I have never seen the research that says the more anchor charts you have on your wall is going to correlate to higher success. It just, it just, it isn't something I've ever experienced. I would be willing to read the research if someone has it. Um, but I think targeted anchor charts are really important, right? Targeted, uh, reminders I think are really powerful, but I've, we've, we've both seen this and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Ms. Ochoa, where this stuff becomes wallpaper. It's not useful. It's not instructional. It's wallpaper, right? You've seen this. No, I think it's been a wallpaper every once in a while in my own room. Yeah. So I'm saying it's been wallpaper for me. That's why I know that. When I kind of when, when I definitely started diving more into well actually you know what it started in reading first so I had I, when I was trying to honor students uh, in what they were doing in reading what I did one of the first versions of putting work on the wall was we had reviews and so what I did was when a student finished a book there was like a little sheet that I printed off and they could just grab them whenever they wanted to they wrote a brief review what they liked about it, what they did it and there was like a Amazon five star thing or whatever and they could just rank it and they put it up there they stapled it to the wall and I invited administrators to do it I invited uh, our coach to do it. I invited other teachers to do it when they're in my room. And before you know it, I had all of these uh, reviews on my wall. 
that were talking about all these books and kids would go there and they would read them um, and they would participate in this. But what it showed was that I valued their opinion on this stuff and I valued their opinion on all of these books. And so that was like one of my first uh, steps into this. But as I slowly leaned into the writing side a lot more, it was like, you know what? I want to celebrate that kids are writing so much. So one day it was like at the end of the six weeks, I was like, oh my God, there's so much great writing. Let's do this. So I just printed it off and I put it up there and I did about, I think I did 10, my first one. Kids walked in and they go, what are these? I was like, these are y'all's pieces. And at first they were mortified, right? They're like, oh my God, you put them on the walls. I don't want them on the wall. But then other people read them and they were good. And then what I noticed in the next six weeks where kids were like, oh, when are you going to put more pieces on the wall? When are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? And so I started adding more and more and then it became a thing and it always becomes a thing. At the beginning of every year, I briefly mention it and kids are like, okay, whatever. But once it happens one time, kids start aiming towards that. They were like, oh, I want to make the wall. And they start writing go, is this a wall piece? Is this a wall piece? Is this a wall piece? Now, the trick to this and to making it work for your content, to work for your standards, to work for uh, pushing your kids in um, to academically as well is to tie it back to your six weeks content. So in my reflection that I love to have students do on their writing is they have to tell me what mini lessons they've used in their writing. They have to tell me what standards they're referencing, what model pieces they're referencing. And my rule is if you, you could write something amazing, but it's not going to make the wall if it doesn't match these. And my goal with that is to get them to use our lessons, right? Because I'm not telling them to. I'm not forcing them to go, oh, you see this hook? This is a great hook. I need y'all all to do 10 hooks like this hook, right? I'm not doing that. Um, rather, I'm saying this is one piece that you can use, but I'm also going to show you 20 other pieces before this six weeks is over that you can kind of mine for information. I'm also going to show you 10 other standards, and now it's your choice to kind of pick this and use it. So I want to encourage that process. That's what Craft and Draft is all about. I want to encourage the constant use of our lessons, the constant look back of the craft book, the constant polishing through the draft book. And then when I put it on the wall, kids go, oh, man, I made it. But what's also I'm reinforcing is, you know, if you want to, if you want to do this, if you want to make the wall and stuff, then you need to write within this, this little frame that I'm giving you. So I'm adding guides, but I'm not restricting because I tell them, you don't have to do that. There's, they can earn their writing uh, grade the same way that they other can. Re- reaching the wall doesn't increase your grade at all, but it's this uh, it's this balance of I want to control them just a little bit. I want to push them in that direction because I want them to try the new things, but I'm not trying to limit that. And that's what I've just found. That's why the wall exists. That's what I do in terms of the amount of pieces I do. I try to do eight to ten. This year, my last one, I think I did like 18 because <laughs> there was just so many uh, that were awesome. Uh, very proud of all of those young writers in seventh grade this year. They've really come a long way. Um, and that, that's what it is. And it's and what happens is you fill up your walls with writing. You can attest to this. My walls are covered in these pieces, and they are every year. And what that tells students is I value their words. I value their their thinking. I value their pieces. And now you don't – it doesn't have to just be pieces. Uh, you and our partner, y'all post other things on the walls. I think we've mentioned before that our, uh, our partner, she does like their picture of like them with their books, much like uh, Penny Kettle does, which is super cool. Um, but there's, there's multiple ways to do this. So I want to – I want to broaden this a little bit as you jump in here and give your take on it um, and just talk about the 
how do you view the walls in your room and, and what do you see as, as value in terms of uh, what you put on your walls and why? Well, you know, most of the stuff on my walls are actually uh, all my work. I don't, <laughs> I'm just kidding, but it really kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I put up what the kids were reading this year and uh, I've got to rearrange how I do the writing. So I have places for all that stuff, but I need to do better at it now. But, but our walls are, uh, you know, surrounded in whiteboard. And so a lot of times I keep those open a little bit more. You have all of yours on your whiteboard, one of them, and you yeah. do a lot of stuff off your overhead mm-hmm. and not overhead. That's an old term, isn't it? Uh, your your <laughs> no, uh, document never camera. used an overhead. No way. You are so young. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's funny though, is when I started teaching, Hang on, I gotta say this. So when I was when I started teaching, I had mentioned something about overheads, and the admin went, "What?" Like they were so confused. I was like, "What do y'all write on?" So I didn't even know by the time I became a teacher that overheads had already evolved out. So I'm I'm young, but I'm not too young. I'm not, not too, young. too young. My high school history teacher loved his overhead. How funny. Well, the other day, I know this side note, and I'll get back to your question, but uh, the other day, you know, they were talking, the kids were talking about whether they're supposed to bring their Chromebooks or not bring their Chromebooks. And they said, Mr. Cho, what are you going to do? What are you going to do if we can't bring our Chromebooks? You know, we have to have our Chromebooks to do your lessons. And I said, oh, contraire, I have taught without whiteboards. I have taught with blackboards. I can teach no matter what. And they're like, oh. So it was just, they were hoping to get out of anything, but it was kind of funny. Uh, But no, we do a lot of work on the whiteboard. So the kids will come around and I might put like a model sentence or I may put uh, an essay up and then they have to go around and and work on it. So, and that stuff stays up for a little bit. Uh, My mini lessons stay up uh, for a while until we get through all of it. And then when I feel like they don't need it anymore, then I take it down. Um, But I also use the computer and um, we do the canvas and, you know, the kids turn all their stuff in that way. Uh, So I don't know. I mean, how do I use my walls? I have not done, I used to hang up uh, all their writing, no matter what. And I just need to do better at it this next year, to be honest. I mean, on an honest note, I mainly put up their reading this year, what they were reading. And that's what stayed up. Uh, But I have, there was one time where, the, all my kids put together a group. They they did a group book. And uh, this is when, I guess, the fire marshal didn't care so much that was hanging off of your ceiling. And so I hung with Skyhooks all of their books. So all of their books that all of my kids created, this was at high school, and they were all hanging off the wall. And, uh, and you could, they could you know, they were hanging down and you could read part of them, you know, on the front things like that. But, but I had them all over the room. So I've done all kinds of stuff, uh, where I hang things. And what, what I do know is on years that I do that really well, uh, it does transform. So I don't know why I don't do it every year, but it does transform, uh, those students and their thinking. And they do get excited about their stuff being on the wall. When are you going to post mine? When can I see that? 
when can I use it? I, I noticed that a lot of times, like I may ask them, can I use yours as an example? And, uh, and so I'll do that. And that just really, really, um, makes their day. Uh, at first they're nervous, like you said, but then they get all excited about it. But this year I didn't do as well as you did when it comes to, it was a good intention that never occurred. I don't know if anybody else ever has that. Maybe I'm the only one, but yeah, I did put up their books you. and what they were reading. Do what? I said that definitely only happens to you. You have a plan Yes, it does only happen to me. Yeah. <laughs> but I have done it and I need to do it next year. So that's one of my goals. And actually I'm going to switch because, you know, I have read, write, think, and I had light bulbs up and had all their ideas up. So when we were doing research, when the kids were creating their ideas and I'll put all those up and then I put their books that they were reading up at least, you know, and then they wrote, gave a review on one of them and I had all of that up and the kids would go and read those. So they did that, but my writing was kind of where I had it was kind of too far. The way my room is, is a little bit different than yours. So I had this place and it was, it just wasn't, it, it didn't work and I didn't change it. So one of the things I'm going to do is change that location and switch my thinking and my writing and put the writing up uh, there behind them on that wider wall. So I'm always trying to, I'm always just the different yeah, well, I had, and we should bring her on to this show. We, I think she'd fit because we have our elementary audience. But Melanie Meehan, I had her on um, Teach Me Teacher recently, and she she was awesome. We talked for a long time, like, off the air, which I, I do a lot with guests, but sometimes I don't. Like, sometimes we're just like, all right, bye. Um, but we talked for a long time because she speaks our language, right? She quotes the same people. Mm-hmm. She references workshop the same way. She has – it feels like she's descended, you know, quote, unquote, from the same uh, documents as we are in terms of this. And she's she's really awesome. But one of the things that she talks about um, and that we talked about on that show, but it would be really cool to bring her here to give a little bit more of a different take is she talks about setting time away – uh, like literally like planning time for writing celebrations and, or and yes. we were talking about writing, but any type of celebration in your class, but literally going this day at this time, we're going to celebrate. And I think that's, that's my way of doing it is, is doing them on the wall. Cause they know every six weeks we're going to look at them and it's, it's a, it's a mm-hmm. great moment. No kids are ever ugly about it. You know what I mean? Like they're right. the, the worst thing that happened is someone is like, traumatized that they they made the wall i usually ask if it's someone who i feel like if they wrote something super personal but they but sometimes just seeing it up there they'll get shy because a lot of these pieces are very passionate and um so the the worst thing that might happen is they're like oh my god don't read it and then they're over it but uh but she she has this idea of just setting this time away to celebrate and to honor and to do all that. And I shared my story about how one of my earliest memories in school and something that I probably made me want to be a writer is – and I have multiple reasons for that. But in fourth grade, Miss Urban – Sat us. She had this like I don't remember the specifics of like the event, but it was like we wrote stories, and she would put us in this like circle, and she would read them right, and she wouldn't tell us which one she was going to read. She'd just be like, "Oh, there's some great ones that have been turned in. Let's read them." Right, and I used to, I tried so hard to write one that she would like, and I remember seeing it in her hand. And I was like, oh, my God. And what she did is, though, she read it, and she would mention how things – like, there was one where I had – I think I wrote a scary story. 
And there was one, actually, I know I did. And there was like a phone that rings at the beginning of the story and it kind of keeps ringing throughout the plot. Right. And she goes, I just love how the, the author, right. That's the word she says. Like, I just love how the author would, would use this sound over and over again to keep the pacing going, to keep all of this going. And it was, I just remember sitting there, you know, like knowing it was mine, being excited that my teacher's reading it and and seeing everyone else's reaction. But that is what she was doing, right? She was honoring my work and it made me glow and it, you know, it, it really built me up. And that, I mean, that to this day, I mean, since fourth grade, this, and honestly, fourth grade is when so much of the trauma in my life happened, too. This, the fact this memory even exists is wild to me. Uh, she's also the teacher. She's the start of Teach Me Teacher. That whole first chapter is her. So <laughs> she was, I think she's just right. an amazing teacher. I'm still, I'm still in contact with her. Um, but she, uh, it's just that, that time. Like, we can't underestimate uh, the value of, of taking time to, to really do these things and, and putting it on the wall, I think is, is, is a powerful thing because if we, if we can put data on the wall, we can put student work on the wall. Well, I agree. And another thing too, is, um, it kind of, you made me think of, uh, Rosemary Dings. She was one of my trainers and one of the things she was a third grade teacher. And what she did is she would have this, uh, director's chair and she had embroidered on the back author's chair and she would bring her kids up periodically, the ones who, if you will, made the wall. And they got to be the author of the day and read their piece. And so uh, that was one of the ways that I remember Rosemary Dink uh, celebrating. And I said her name because I don't want, I want her to be remembered. She's she's just a great, she was a great lady. She is a great lady, but she's a retired teacher a long time. So pretty cool. Alrighty, let's check out question two. This one's from Amy, a patron native, patron supporter. Uh, Amy's awesome. We've interacted with her several times. I believe we answered several questions from her, but this is this is a good one, and this is one that's hit me particularly hard right now. But Amy comments and she says, next year I'll be moving from fourth to fifth grade and be looping with my students. I know Jacob looped a few years ago with his kids, and I was wondering what advice or suggestions he might have for me. How did you change things up while continuing to live within the workshop model for reading and writing? How did you handle newcomers joining a class that is very close-knit already? What were some of the things you loved about looping? What challenges did you have, and how did you handle them? Anything you can share is welcome. Thank you. Alrighty, Amy. I have I have so many thoughts about looping. Um, and because I do, I want to ask you first. Because- <laughs> Just because I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about this for a hot minute, just because this is what my mind's on. I, I have I have so many things to say, but I mean, have you ever looped? I, I feel like we've asked this question before, but I don't remember. Not directly. I've looped because they moved me to a new subject. Oh, so that next year. So one year I taught uh, reading sixth grade, and then the very next year they moved me to seventh grade uh, social studies. Uh, Texas history and so honors. So I had the same honors group. Um, it's almost the exact same class as the year before. And so, uh, so I didn't have to worry about uh, changing the content. And we all kind of already knew each other. So that part was good. How and many they knew years, how I operated. How many years did were you a teacher at this point? About 12. Okay. I asked because it was. 
I feel like the younger you are, the harder it probably is because every year, you know, you're improving. I mean, every year teachers improve, but mm-hmm. after a while, you know, you get good and you, you know, you have your things. We're always improving. We're always doing this, but you're kind of set. Like, you know how to manage a class. You're not always kind of re-envisioning the basics. You know, the first five years is really just kind of reacclimating and, right. and figuring out how to fix things. But so mm-hmm. year 12, I imagine you didn't have uh, a... A, a lot of those issues where you were like, man, I wish it's going to be hard to break these habits that I built into them the year before. Cause you were already a year 11 or so. Right. No, I didn't have too many of those. Um, I still have, you know, some of their work, I still have their Texas history work and you know, some of them they were great kids. They were great kids and I enjoyed them later on. I ran into them when they were in high school uh, at a meeting, and they all surrounded me. I couldn't get down the hallway. So that was kind of cool. Made me feel good about them. But uh, they made me feel good. But now, as far as looping, uh, my son looped from first grade to second grade. And his wife is a teacher and has looped with her. So she's been a teacher who has looped. But as a parent of a student who was looped, I will still tell you that even today, that's the one teacher he remembers. He doesn't remember all the others, but that's, or at least he doesn't say he does, but that's the one teacher that he'll go, oh, you ran into her? How is she doing? You know, she's no longer, she's now retired. But um, but anyway, it was a, a teacher that, uh, she she was a workshop teacher and uh, she, uh, she really helped him grow in a lot of ways. And she just knew him more deeply and knew what he needed better than any other teacher ever. And so the next year when he moved away from her and uh, we had a whole different teacher, the only problem that I had is he got depressed about school because he missed his teacher to the point that it was like, you know, we, we got to go to school, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> He's like, but I don't want to go to school. I don't, have, I don't have Miss So-and-so. Yeah. Yeah. I So I – looping up was really fascinating because – you know, I've I've thought a lot about this because I'm sure people are tired of hearing me talk about it. Because the it, it we're at the end of the year. I literally have four days with these human beings, and they're off, and I'll see them again. But they're you know they're off in the major way. But the and year- and I will. I'm going to interrupt you because last week I mentioned how sad it is, and I'm yeah. telling you, these kids are trickling out of his room. <laughs> I've never seen so many. <laughs> So many kids in a line asking, Can you please side butt back? And they are crying. It's it's sad. It's so sad. It and my kids are going, see you, Miss Ochoa. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I'm not jealous or envious at all. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. That's so funny. No, I mean it has been, and it's been hard. Like I've my hand hurts from writing so many things and I could write a million more things though. Like that's the thing. Like it's so interesting, but I've been, I've been going through this reflective process. I was talking to our principal about this because she's retiring this year. And she even said, she was like, this group of eighth graders is, they're truly astounding. She was like, I couldn't ask for a better group of eighth graders to send off on my retirement year. Um, So that just speaks to them just in general. But when I, so I taught them the re I feel like the reason why that our bond is so close other than looping, which I'll get to in a second to answer, uh, Amy's question is the, when I, it was when I came back from our, my coaching position 
I, you know, that year was extremely hard. I have talked about that on Teach Me Teacher. I've talked about it on here. And so I was itching to get back into the classroom and, and, you know, there was a part of me that was like, you know, people are judging me because I, I got quote unquote promoted and then stepped down or whatever. And there was a part of me that was like, you know what, I'm going to walk back into the classroom and I'm going to, I'm going to be amazing and I'm going to be incredible. And I'm going to use the knowledge that, uh, I learned as a coach and, and channel that workshop stuff and use craft and drive. Cause we had just built it into the system and I'm going to use it in, in a massive way. And I'm going to document so much of this. I'm going to, I'm going to merge my love of the, you know, the Ron Clark Academy bigger than life with workshop style. And, and it was, it was, in, it was literally incredible. They were amazing students and, we did that and then the year's going amazing. It's it's my it's my best year teaching and then COVID hits and we have to go online. And I'm like, what on earth is this? And so I go with online with these kids and then our uh teacher at the time, our department head, she took it when I left. She stepped down because she got pregnant and she was like, I don't want to I'm I'm gonna be leaving. Whatever. So I became department head in December. Um we go uh digital just a little bit after that, right? We go because of COVID hits. And so I'm the, the department head, um, our seventh grade teachers leaving. And at the time the, the department head was either the eighth grade teacher, or the seventh grade teacher, because eighth grade is, you know, the, the end of the year or the, the EOC for the content. And then seventh grade could be the department chair because it was focused on two tests, right? The reading and writing test down here in Texas. Um, and our principal, Currently, her belief is that if you're going to be the leader, then you have to have the most on the line, right? You have to be the, the, you can't, you can't have the least on the line and be leading a department. You have to have all of this responsibility, which I think is fair. Right. And so I, that's why I looped up. It was because I was DC. I accepted the position and she was like, well, that means you're going to seventh. And I said, okay, let's do it. And I was excited. Um, it meant starting in a weird year where we were doing blended learning or not blended, but uh, hybrid learning where some kids were online, some kids were at home. And I think it gave me such a boon. But what happened was because I got to tell them that I was going up with them is that these kids who were experiencing something that hasn't happened in over a hundred years, right? They were experiencing something that was incredibly strange and weird and, I mean, literally something that people – like this is going to be something people talk about in history forever, um, much like my generation. You know, I'm going to talk about like seeing 9-11 happen in my fifth grade classroom, right? Like there's just events that define generations. COVID is going to define their generation. And – we went through this together and we stayed writing though. Those kids who were writing, they kept writing through digital. We would join Zooms. I had kids joining my Zoom just to talk and like they would be doing other classes with like, hey, Chastain, we just have talk to you. I'll come on, let, let, we'll chat and then you can help me with my writing. And so I was having these writing conferences literally all summer long. And there, so when we came back in August, I had already been working with them for two plus months and I had, I had verified with our principal. I was like, Hey, they will still want to ride in conference. I was like, can I like, we'll call it like a writing club or whatever, but like, can I keep zooms going? Is there anything like weird that like I have to get approved? And she was like, no, I think it's great. And so we, I got it approved by them and I would have these kids. They would just, they would, some of them would come into the zooms and they'd have their camera offs and just like sit there and just kind of be in this like communal space. 
and some would just send me stuff in advance and some would really come on there and we would chat about their writing, but it just kept going. So when we hit August, I mean, I had already had two more months of working with them than I normally would have. So when they walked in, I just started where they were. And here's the challenge to talk to Amy's when she was talking about challenges. The number one challenge I had with looping was I couldn't rely on the same tricks, right? Because (laughs) in sixth grade, I, I, my, my, one of the favorite things I love to do in sixth grade was kind of shock them out of elementary. You know what I mean? Like, like show them something that's a little bit more edgy. Uh, that's a little bit more aggressive, so to speak, not like inappropriate or anything like that, but I'm talking like, uh, like Neil Gaiman has a wonderful short story called, um, bag of bones, which is, you haven't read it. You should definitely do it. It's, it's perfect for fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, maybe. Um, it's, it's a very short, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's creepy. It's some, Something that might, you know, it might be a little too creepy for elementary, but it's perfect for middle school, right? Because they're they're watching horror movies and stuff. But it's not graphic. It's not gory. There's there's no bad language in it. It's just a little bit more mature, right? And so stuff like that, I would use for sixth grade. I use Canvas of My Life in sixth grade for them, right? So stuff like that, stuff that's a little bit more nuanced. And that was I. That's how I got so much buy-in for them in sixth grade because you know it made them feel older a little bit, and I could use that as my momentum. I couldn't do that when I had them again. I couldn't <laughs> lean on the same stuff, right? Like I had already done. Uh, you know, we've already done a read aloud of the Telltale Heart, so I couldn't do the Telltale Heart in seventh grade. Like, there, I couldn't do the Emily Dickinson poems that I had brought down to sixth again. So I had to find different things, and that was fun for me, in all honesty, because I was like, "Well, I know they do this, but what?" The difficult part was finding the new stuff, but the fun part was knowing what I had already done. Right, I had already done so much with them. I I knew the lessons I had created. Right, I knew the lessons that had already stuck. So I know it was like you know we get their data when you get new students. Right, you look at their star scores, you look at their reading scores, you do all this stuff, and you kind of make a, a guesstimate about where you can start, and then you slowly figure it out as you gather data. I had all their data. I knew who they were. I had, because I do all of my conferences digitally on my iPad, I had literally pieces that they wrote in sixth grade. Funny fact, uh, one of my students came in uh, to, to have me sign their yearbook and they were talking about, they were like, do you still have, uh, that piece that I wrote at the beginning, my first piece. And I literally pulled up my iPad cause I just archived all of this stuff. I pulled up the first writing conference I ever had with them. I had a picture of their writing and everything stashed in there. And I said, here it is. And it's all there. It's still there. And wow. it was, it's this, it's so powerful to be able to, I mean, just think about like our problem as teachers is having knowledge about students, right? That's like the the capital of what a teacher is. The better teacher you are and the more effective you are really comes down to how well do you know the students uh, academically, socially, emotionally, all of this stuff. The more you know them, the better you can serve them. And I knew so many of them, right? But here's the second problem that Amy brings up. The kids that are new to this group. This group was like a cult, right? You've seen them. They are dedicated. (laughs) Nobody can fit in. Yeah, they're hardcore, like this this family I mean, unit. Like, well, you know, when you were busy with somebody and they were like waiting and they're like, he's never yeah, going to come over poetry, here because he's yeah, so yeah. busy. And I'm like, well, I can help you. No, you, you don't know me like Chastain does. <laughs> That's what they had. And I'm like, well, why not? okay, no problem. But if you if he takes too long and you need to call me, feel free. 
And they, they, and it was, they to did. Be, to be fair, they eventually and warmed they up to you. Yeah. They did. Now they'll even come and sit in my room sometimes, but not if you are in your room. They will yeah. come to your room first. But I, I, you know, it's it's this this weird. It was like this bond. Like it just, I don't know. I think it was just a series of things that happened to really create it. But I honestly, I think too that teachers can build this. Like I had a lot of circumstances that made I think the bond a little bit deeper. But the the number one thing I did is I just sat with them and talked with them and and conferenced with yeah. them all the time. And and I'm obsessed with that process. And what kids learn is they learn that this adult is there for them, that I was there. And I want, I genuinely care about what they have to say. And I care about putting that on the paper and all of these other things. And, and so they're, they're this tight little knit group. And so I had some new students come in, um, uh, you know, some of them moved. We have a big transient population. Um, our principal just the other day talked about how we basically lose 40% of our kids throughout the three years they're on our campus, which is a wild statistic. I've known that statistic, but it's always wild to hear. Um, and so that's a problem. That That's an issue uh, that we are you, that we uniquely deal with. But the number one thing to do is I try to – the, the biggest piece of advice I give to anyone who's in that situation is to sit those kids with your strong group that aren't too cultish, right? They're not too like Chastain, ride or die. You're not a part of us. Get out of here. Like they like, so if Amy has like the, the, her, she might have that core group next year as she's moving up, but that group that's welcoming, that's nice. Put that new kid with them, let them get involved in the culture. Um, and then eventually they just kind of get into it. That happens this year. My students this year are the same way. Like new kids came in and like, who are you? We're Chastain's crew. Like, like, you know, and they're, they're very aggressive about it, but I just sit them with like-minded people. I try to learn them as quickly as possible so I can kind of give them an assigned seat that really does benefit them. And then before you know it, they're a part of the culture and it's like they've been there uh, forever. Um, one of my favorite students who weren't in Rightfully Empowered, so I won't mention her name, but she came in last year and she was new and she had the personality of the class. I was like, oh my God, they're, the, we are going, you're going to fit in so perfectly. But she was a little awkward at first. Um, and then just, just yesterday, she had said, she goes, I can't even believe we've only known each other this long. It feels like I've known you as long as everyone else has. Because it's just, it's this family that has been brought in. So I wouldn't worry too much about bringing in people from the outside. I think it's, I think you just, you just got to be strategic about how to do it and bring them in. And then they, people want to be a part of it. You know, if you're looping up and if your group's really strong or if the majority of them are strong with like this culture, people want to be a part of that. People want to belong, right? Even outsiders, even people like me who are weird and just want to like hide out forever. Like, you know, we all want to belong deep down. Um, it's something that, uh, that you can hit on. I'm trying to look at her questions here. Miss Ochoa, why I look back, see if I missed anything in terms of kids moving. Cause I think this is something you can touch on too. Cause you've dealt with this this year of bringing in new kids. I think that's the hardest thing about workshop too, is when, when kids move in, you've already established your workshop and they have a new kid in January and you're like, well, <laughs> there's so much, there's so much buildup that has gotten us to this point. It's like, where do I start? How have you dealt with that of kids moving into your classroom culture, your classroom systems and everything, uh, and, and brought them in as quickly as possible? Well, I mean, that just happened. I, I just recently got three kids. Yeah, I mean, it's like in the, the last end of the year, yeah. in the last six weeks, yes, and so and I'm in the same class, but um, 
I kind of just, I, I first of all, have a conversation with them. Hey, how are you? So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. You know, this is what we do. And uh, so where are you from? Uh, what kind of books do you like to read? You know, I kind of get a real big, you know, do you write? Do you like to write? And I just kind of talk to them naturally. It comes natural. I don't like, it's not like I give them a survey. It's just these are things. So so what's your favorite subject? You know, I, I try to get to know them a little bit. and. Uh, and then based on that, as they're coming in, it's a real quick hello at the door kind of thing and welcome and all of that. And then in my mind, I'm thinking, who can I set them by that will make them feel comfortable? And I typically try to set them by someone who seems to be similar to them based on just my real quick notice. And then I get the class going. And then when everybody's writing or they're doing the reading, then I'll sit next down next to that person. And then I'll let them know we have two notebooks. Do you have two notebooks? They usually have one, right? And then I explain to them that we do the craft and draft uh, system. And that so what that means is we're going to write on the right side, but don't worry about it. I'll walk you through it as we go through it. And then uh, and then we begin the class after they read because mine are reading first. And then we do like the mini lesson and or we respond to the reading. And that's where... If I already have a notebook in the classroom and they don't have both of them, then that's where I show them that. And then I'll say, uh, so-and-so, do you mind showing them your book so they can see what we're talking about? And so I try to also set them by somebody who is actually keeping up with their book Mm -hmm. uh, better than some others. Some do it way better than others and some of them. uh, But even if if they don't keep it, I just know that most of my kids have theirs. I mean, it's not really an issue most of the time. But I do try to put them by somebody who is yep. already successful. Same. And uh, that's kind of what I do. And then we talk about them and ask. And then I check back with them throughout the period. And then um, I might introduce a few more people. Hey, have you met so-and-so over here? Have you met so-and-so? Hey, y'all, make sure you say hello to so-and-so. And so I kind of do that privately a little bit. And uh, And then now you would not know that those three kids were not a part of this room. They're all in the same room, but they are all uh, sitting with someone similar to them. And they've even moved themselves a little bit to some people that I might have, you know, didn't quite know that they might like. And uh, they are, I mean, this has just been, they've only been here for maybe four weeks. And they're, they they even they even have work for me. They're, they want to fit in to the point that they're actually doing work. They're even doing work I've, uh, we did a lot, you know, at the before they got here. And they're actually doing some of that work just so I'll I'll say, hey, if you got some time, do you mind doing this real quick? It's over here and I'll show it to them. And they've even done some of that. So I even have some grades for them. So, but they don't seem to mind. Yeah. I mean, it really does happen quick. I mean, if you have a strong culture, kids want to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. They, they, you know, and if you sit them by, I really think the key is sitting next to the, to the right people. I want to, before we close, I want to tell Amy one more thing that I think is, I think any looping teacher uh, might potentially struggle with, but it's also a strength is, uh, the kids are very familiar with you, but they have different memories than you, right? We, we talk about this all the time in teaching where they, you know, like kids, like when you move on, like I remember some key things my teachers did, but also I mostly remember like how they treated me, how I felt in those classrooms. I don't remember lessons necessarily, or, uh, you know, we all know that content transferring from, 
one year to the next, even from class to class is not always super solid. And so going in thinking that kids are going to remember last year the way you did, I think is a a mistake. Um, It can make you frustrated because you're like, what y'all were doing this last year. All right. Or always bring you causing you to verbally say things like, well, we did this last year or y'all were better last year or, you know, like anything like that you might pop off on like in a moment of frustration or something like that. Um, or, uh, like kids will be like, well, you're, you've changed, right? Like, (laughs) you know, they'll definitely (laughs) use that. They'll be like, you're different this year or something like that because you know, you, it is different, but they're also different. They remember things different. There's, there's some of that stuff that is, that just kind of exists. They're more comfortable with you because they've known you. So they, they, there's times where they'll be more aggressive. They'll be more honest about when they're unhappy about certain things. They'll be more direct with um, being unhappy with something you do. I mean, and, and that's just, that just comes with the territory. And I had to, I mean, legit, I mean, I, y'all know I love these kids very much, but there was times last year where I was like, and I got to take a breath because they're being a little, uh, they're crossing a little line here talking this way, but I have to realize that they feel comfortable enough to do that. And I'm not dismissing it. I'm not condoning it. I'm not saying it's okay, but I'm saying as the adult in the space, you just have to be able to, to, to separate yourself just a little bit and be like, okay, so they're saying this, you know, behavior tells us everything. Their, their behavior is like this because they're comfortable with me. Now we need to have the talk about, you know, I'm still your teacher. You know, you, you are still, you know, you might feel close to me or whatever, but we still have work to do. We have all of these things to do. And kids change over the year too. I mean, we know this kids evolve so fast and alter. So it's just, don't be limited to what last year was. Amy, as you're going through and, and looping, you know, celebrate the stuff that you're able to keep going and learn from your mistakes and evolve as you can. But don't, don't let the, the stress of that really affect you too much. I think the, the strengths completely outweigh, uh, the negatives, you know, your culture is going to be fantastic. You're already going to know them. You have an advantage, um, just by having been with them for a year, you know, their lessons, but don't let those lessons limit you. Things change, things alter. You're a different person. They're different people. And that's wonderful. You just have to let that kind of evolve. And I think you're going to have all the success in the world. I'm jealous. I'm jealous of you. I would, I would loop again if I could. I think loop, I <laughs> looping is something that, um, I think it's powerful. Kelly Gallagher talked about it when I talked to him, he was, uh, he talked about, he had looped several times with groups. Um, I know Nancy Atwell has, I mean, there's a bunch of people who do it. I think it's, I think it's a powerful practice. I think there's, there's, mm-hmm. there's challenges, but, um, it's incredible. I don't know. Do you have any closing remarks, Miss Ochoa? Well, I just think that um, it, it is a nice opportunity. I've never really done looping like you did, so I don't have that experience other than as a mom. I do know that I liked your advice there about don't don't uh, think that they have the same memories as you did. You know, treat it like it is a new year, and yet at the same time, a new year where you already know those students. But I think no matter what you have, I think if you put those kids first and their needs first and know them, I I liked that. I think that's really a good thing to remember is really get to know your kids and um, enjoy what you do. Don't get too so hung up. You don't enjoy it. That's a perfect way to close this out. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Craft the Draft.
an hour episode for you. You know it's a good one when we hit an hour. Uh, that's Pamela Cho. I'm Jacob Chastain. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, leave a review over there on the podcast app of your choosing. It really does help. If you want to support this podcast and make sure it keeps going strong or just join the wonderful group of educators over there uh, on Patreon who get first dibs on questions, get bonus episodes, and bonus PD that we only release to them, you can do that at Craft and Draft over there on Patreon. You can find that link at craftandraftworkshop.com. Thank you for listening. Come back next week. We're going to dive into some more stuff. We're going to be in summer break full by the time we record another episode. So we'll see what happens from there. Whether you have four days like us, a week or two or three maybe left, Uh, hopefully you're closing out your (laughs) year wonderfully. Thank you for supporting Craft and Draft. Thank you for listening and know that we are here. For you.